You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Rousseau here, continuing our series, talking to NLC folks who are lawyers working in the legal world, since that's something that's on our mind as we get into Supreme Court battles and election battles and all the interesting happenings, scary happenings in our world. Joined by Charlie today, he was someone in the NLC ties from San Diego, was on the NLC LA board for many years. Excited to catch up with him, hear what he's working on. Let's get to it. All right, Charlie. Yeah, I feel like current events have put lawyers in the spotlight. I was thinking about on election night, I think lawyers will really be in the spotlight. What are you anticipating happening once the polls close uh, for the election? Oh, hey, Eric. Well, thanks for having me. Um, that is a huge question to lead off with. Uh, <laughs> I, I, w- I will say that I'm trying to devour as much content as possible to understand that as well. There was an interesting, scary piece from Jeffrey Tubin in The New Yorker last week about sort of the legal challenges and the amount of, you know, sort of high level lawyers that are being brought into this even now. And of course, we'll be after Election Day. Um, I think it's very difficult to say I don't think we're going to have a result on Election Day. And I think there are going to be legal battles in every single state and likely at the Supreme Court as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, not every single state. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones that the ones we're all, yeah, the ones we're all thinking about for sure. Yeah. Well, listen, you know we're having lawyers on in a couple episodes uh, dropping this week and, and next week, and uh, you know I've been asking folks what they feel like uh, is a way that the law and being a, a lawyer can help them live out their progressive values. Uh, for you, how those two things come together most recently, or maybe if you want to talk about your journey as well, that'd be great to hear. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I've always had an interest in public interest law. So that that was my goal going into law school and was lucky enough to be able to work in a few different areas in immigration law and uh, healthcare law, and consumer protection uh, at various nonprofits. Um, I would say that for me, what my passion has developed into is broader access to justice issues. A lot of our listeners probably know that um, there is not mandated lawyers in civil court. So that means that uh, recent studies showed that 80% of people in California do not have a lawyer uh, in their legal proceedings. That's a huge issue and a crisis that um, I think is not oft talked about. Uh, That can be minor matters like um, contract disputes, but it could also be life-changing matters like family law. And what I'm interested now is uh, in housing law. And so uh, in housing court now, 90% of the time, the landlord has a high-powered lawyer and the tenant does not. And that creates an imbalance and injustice that directly leads to the homelessness crisis. And with the sort of everyone's been reading about the eviction moratoriums and the eviction tsunami that is going to kick off sometime next year, uh, there's a real fear that people will not have the legal defenses to stay in their housing. You know, it's interesting bringing up landlords. Do you have any sense of this? Because at least in L.A., I feel like there's a misperception of of who a landlord is. Uh, you know, you hear like mom and pop landlords, and a lot of city city council members are, are frequently sort of lifting up this this profile of a quote unquote mom and pop landlord as as uh, reasons to maybe side with them as opposed to tenants. But in, in your experience, is that the case? Is it really like a, a property owner who may have one or two apartments, or is it more kind of like larger corporations that are you know thousands upon thousands of, of units, and so they can't afford a giant high-powered lawyer team? What, what kind of things do you see? Yeah, I think that that the latter is what you see most often. Certainly, there are mom-and-pop landlords um, and who have been greatly affected by the current crisis. And I think that 
the protections in place that the, the city, county, state can put protections in place for those landlords and should prioritize that ahead of protections for, as you said, sort of the larger uh, real estate owners and developers. I think it's um, it 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 create the, the the dynamics in the court create an environment where someone who is trying to express a defense about habitability, right? For example, someone who lives in somewhere without plumbing and uh, without clean common spaces and without general, uh, those individuals have defenses. And oftentimes when they have an attorney, the success rate of an avoiding an eviction goes from 5% to 75%. Oh, wow. And so okay. the, the problem really, it's not so much about good or bad. It's about, does someone have a chance to provide a, 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 a legal defense? And that's what's not happening. So in terms of having funds to provide more lawyers in these types of cases and, and and in different civil cases in general is that a function a city government would would right. provide funding for or is that a philanthropic measure like where, where do you see the funds coming to make that happen right so that's the big question i mean right now the county and the city are devoted funds to what's called a right to counsel which is going to implement any day now uh, and that's going to a pilot program in a few housing courts that will mandate an attorney in housing court uh the truth is the amount of money to uh eliminate the justice gap is completely untenable legal aid funding legal aid is not tenable there's just there aren't enough lawyers period uh, so actually what, what what my primary focus is is how do we think about using technology and really i think in the next generation we're going to reimagine what a court looks like and the way that cases are processed is going to move a lot more online now there there are a lot of worries with that um, but the, the ability to move courts online will also allow uh, uh, consumers to be able to also uh, find attorneys and be able to sort of assist them with the process in a smoother process than today when it's very difficult to find an attorney. And would you see that online reality, if it came true, would that bring down walls between states? Like, could you see a pool of lawyers that could work anywhere in the country? And so you could have access to somebody in Pennsylvania or someone Texas, or you'd still would have the state by state barriers potentially. Yeah, well, state by state, and even jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Yeah. So no, I, I mean, I think there are some matters. I mean, in the in sort of disaster relief services, sometimes when it's a federal like a FEMA case, you'll see lawyers from other states um, step in. But generally, no, it's going to have to be normal lawyers. But it's also thinking about right now the state bar is looking at uh, non accredited attorneys to assist with certain matters. A lot of legal work is about helping with paperwork. And yeah. helping people to navigate the process. So the question that's being sort of debated is, do you need to be a lawyer to assist somebody? And what we're seeing is that people aren't getting any assistance whatsoever right now. And that might be a way to help bridge the gap. When we come back with Charlie, we'll continue on this topic of ways we could maybe reimagine the field of law. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Charlie, I'm interested on the the housing piece since you're you're seeing folks in some ways at the end of the process when they are in court trying to fend off an eviction or maybe there's issues with their their landlord. Has that given you any insight on what the city could do more on the front end to make housing more secure for more folks? Oh, that's a very difficult question. Um, I I mean, I think more more affordable housing is always the answer. I think that politically and financially, that's a more difficult question, um, but certainly the, the housing stock is, is the number one issue and, and rising rents. I mean, the truth is that people are, as everyone knows on this podcast, are being priced out of their properties. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, the housing stock piece uh, of really all types, right? Just the lack of building in, in the state has contributed to to a lot of these factors. Um, hey, I've been asking folks who have been on about the Supreme Court reality that sadly mm-hmm. we're, we're in right now. I'm curious, do, do lawyers in your circle or, or like professional groups, do they tend to have opinions on how many justices there should be? Should it be 18 year term limits? Should it be 10 justices and they elect five more? Like what, right. is there a consensus at all? Or is it just something that we all kind of speculate about on Twitter? You know, it's interesting. One of those speculations I read last week, which I thought was interesting is that we could be seeing the demise of the Supreme Court as we know it um, in the sense that it's become going to become an arms race to pack more seats. I do believe that if the Democrats win the Senate um, and the presidency that we will add seats without question. And then down the line, when Republicans do the same, they will continue to add. Um, but I've also been reading some pieces, you know, that that may not be a bad thing. I mean, if we look at the history of the Supreme Court, has it always acted? It, it, it's become such a political body. And if you read any of the sort of discussions about Amy Garrett and some of the recent, I mean, we, we it's almost like the presidents are electing the Supreme Court justices mm-hmm. in a way that really didn't happen before. And I think that we don't necessarily want the Supreme Court to act as a political body. So, you know, again, going back to reimagining things, I, I, I think the role of the Supreme Court may change a lot. And I think it's going to start with this adding of justices. Um, yeah, I think there's something said for at least term limits, right? Something in the 18-year mark, um, or even you know, there's a a cap on the number of vacancies that could be filled by a presidency in any given two-year two-year term scenario. I think I read some interesting pieces where it's just essentially randomized that you just pull from the federal judge bench and just kind of shake it up mm-hmm. on a certain time frame, and it just it is whatever the draw ends up being, and that's the Supreme Court for X amount of time until you do the mm-hmm. same thing over again as a way to kind of yeah flatten out the politics, like you're like you're saying. It'd be interesting to see what what kind of political will would exist for for any of those things. I think it would would make a lot of sense. But yeah, the arms race idea I think is definitely true. Maybe maybe before we pass on when we're old, there'll be you know fifty, seventy five, a hundred justices and just pack them in there. Yeah, we'll see. Who knows? Hard to say. Yeah, and to your point, I think that reimagining in some other way is, is the other likely option. But I think that the Supreme Court as a nine person body um, with unlimited terms, I think that that, that will change in the next um 10 15 years yeah hey last thing what do you uh advise folks to watch for as the election looms not so much with the big races most folks probably already know about but i suspect you're plugged into either some of the proposition ballots or some of the local races here what what would you want folks to keep an eye on oh that's a good question i mean i think that the da race is the big one for me and i'd like to see gascon uh win um i i'm you know, been uh, displeased with the way that Jackie Lacey has sort of run the attorney attorney office in Los Angeles. And um, uh, it's time for someone more progressive to, that I think fits the ideals and the desires of most people in Los Angeles. Uh, and I think that would be a nice first step in sort of decriminalizing a lot of um, the city and, you know, directing resources towards assistance to constituents in the right way as opposed to wholly through uh, the police yeah well listen thanks so much for coming on thanks for all the work you're doing and thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the zag make sure to catch all the episodes we're dropping in the next week or two featuring our nlc alums and nlc family who have legal ties working as lawyers doing the important work on that front catch those all the places to get your podcasts and until next time talk to you soon <laughs>